Dr. Kevin Landau was raised just north of New York City with dogs, cats, and horses. Initially intending to attend medical school, he got an undergraduate degree in biology from Oberlin College in Ohio. He took a year after graduation to get some varied veterinary experience in both small animal and equine practice. He then earned his veterinary degree from the University of Pennsylvania in 1994. Afterwards, he did a one-year internship at Mid-Atlantic Equine in New Jersey. He then spent three years in equine practice in Burlington, Vermont. After a brief stop back in New Jersey, he relocated to Massachusetts and started a holistic equine practice that has evolved to a brick-and-mortar holistic practice that is 80% small animal and 20% equine. He is certified in chiropractic by the AVCA, in acupuncture by Qi University, and in Chinese herbal medicine by A Time to Heal. He also has advanced study in chiropractic and Chinese herbal medicine. His practice also includes laser therapy, applied kinesiology, and autonomic response testing. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Kevin Landau as we discuss his education, time in traditional practice, the future of holistic medicine, and his time serving on the board of directors of the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association. Dr. Landau, thanks for taking the time to talk today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Kevin, where did you grow up? I grew up about an hour north of New York City in Westchester County in a town called Katona. Did you have a lot of pets growing up? Yeah, I had an interesting childhood that way. It was relatively rural in uh, that part of Westchester County. And uh, I grew up uh, with my father's life dream uh, being to get horses when he turned 40. Uh, so we always had cats and dogs. And then when I was, I guess when I was seven or eight, we had um, three horses in a backyard barn setting and um, uh, started taking care of horses besides uh, being around dogs and cats. So yeah, always had a lot of animals. Nice. Did you have to do barn chores then? Yes. And I wasn't smart enough to to have a separate uh, pair of shoes to go to school with. So I went to school smelling like piss. Horse piss, and I was very unpopular for a number of years until I figured out how to change my shoes. Ah, jeez. So what yes. what did, did these horses do? Well, our pony used to like to throw me and kick me, um, uh, but they were basically, um, you know, walk, uh, trot, canter, jumping horses, and I did a little showing up until like age 13 or 14 and then stopped showing. Uh, my father uh, was into the jumpers and um, was always training uh, a horse. Even after I left the house and grew up, he he got fancier and fancier and, and actually had some nice uh, jumping horses uh, when I was in veterinary school. Yeah. When did you decide that you wanted to go to vet school? Uh, I fell in love with biology in seventh grade and like physiology and understanding how things work. And uh, right then and there in seventh grade, I knew I wanted to go to medical school. And that did not change until the very end of my uh, college experience. Um, when it came time to be applying to medical school, I started dragging my feet because everyone that I knew that was in medical school uh, was really pale and sickly looking. And I was thinking, I can't stay in school for eight more years and survive. So I did a regroup and a reset, and thanks to uh, a really um, awesome college advisor I had who told me 
just to relax because I was having a major freak out at the time. Um, I basically took the year off after I graduated college and uh, worked in a bunch of different of animal related um, jobs and applied to veterinary school. What, what sort of jobs did you have? Uh, well, I I groomed at a barn for one that was near where I grew up in Westchester. Um, I sold purebred puppies and kittens on the Upper West Side of New York for a little while. Um, that was a very strange experience. Uh, <laughs> I worked and lived in Santa Cruz, California, in a small animal hospital as a technician and groomer and just general helper. And uh, yeah, and I rode with a couple different horse vets just to get more experience. How did the Santa Cruz connection come up? Uh, well, after I graduated college, um, one of my good friends from college was moving out there and I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> and so actually my, my uh, girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, was a year behind me in college and we had a dog and I had to leave my girlfriend and my dog in college and I kept driving west because we were in Ohio. I went to Oberlin. So I drove out to California with my friend and got a job and was out there for about six months. Where did you uh, work in the horse practices? Well, I, uh, I uh, worked for a while with um, a guy named Mark Bouse at Fairfield Equine. Um, and he wrote me a recommendation, which was nice. Uh, when I was in college, I worked in Greensboro, North Carolina for a summer with another veterinarian named Cindy Kibrell, uh, outside of Greensboro. And those are the two main horse vets that I spent time with. Yeah. yeah. Did you, uh, get into the horse scene around Oberlin at all when you were? Not at all. No, I didn't ride at all. Um, and I wasn't into anything really veterinary um, when I was in college either. Because I was really pretty sure I was going to go to medical school. I didn't really rethink that decision until uh, the end of my senior year when I was getting time to really hunker down and make a decision. Yeah. So you majored in biology then? I was a biology major, yeah. Yeah. Did you enjoy your Oberlin experience? Yeah, Oberlin was interesting. Um in a lot of ways, it was fantastic. Although I, I had a, I had a really tough freshman roommate, and did not um, did not do very well with him. He was actually a, a quite uh, like abusive in a very strange way. So um, I, 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 I had to process through a lot of stuff. I actually tried to transfer after my freshman year, and I didn't uh, successfully transfer. So I ended up going back reluctantly, and. Um, uh, once I was back um, after my freshman year, it was really just golden after that. Like my sophomore through senior years were fantastic. I was a soccer player, so I, I played soccer there and I had a great soccer experience. And I met my present wife, uh, my the girlfriend of my time that I met in college. Um, she was a freshman and I was a sophomore. So sophomore year, things turned around nicely. But freshman year, even though it started off fantastic, I had a great time initially. By the time it got to mid-year, I was really hit a bad way with my roommate. Uh, um, what's the what's the situation there? Did you have to live in the dorms for how long, or did you live off campus at all? Yeah, well, Oberlin, you're allowed to live off campus um, 
And there's like a really, it's a really small town Overland. So I lived in off-campus housing um, basically from my sophomore year on. Like I, I did two years in dorms. And then after that, um, I was uh, off-campus housing. Just walkable. Yeah, walkable. And everyone had junk, junky bikes that we drove around. So yeah, um, yeah we biked everywhere. So when it came time to apply to vet schools, how did you uh, decide, Where did how many did you apply to? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was a New York State resident. So um, when it came time to apply to veterinary school, I was pretty sure Cornell was going to be the only school I was going to have a shot at because it's pretty competitive uh, getting in. And it turned out Cornell wouldn't even look at my application because I didn't meet their, at the time they had a 3.5 GPA cutoff irregardless of where you went undergraduate. And I think I had like a three, four at Oberlin and that precluded them from considering my application, which uh, was really kind of distressing at the time. Um, so uh, when I was living out in Santa Cruz, I applied to, uh, I applied to Cornell. Uh, I applied to um, UC Davis. And as an afterthought, I applied to Penn uh, because I had an old girlfriend that uh, was applying to veterinary school at the time, and she strongly encouraged me to apply there because she thought they uh, have a good chance and a good reputation of taking people out of state. And while I was out at Davis, I was there for the earthquake in the 88 or 89, I'll remember the year now, and the earthquake kind of <laughs> rattled me. So I was like, I, I really don't want to go to Davis. I didn't even turn in the application. So I applied to Penn and Cornell. Cornell rejected me outright, outright and um, Penn waitlisted me and then accepted me a week before classes started. Oh, geez. Yeah. You had to move fast. Yeah. So I was living, actually, I was living up in Westport, New York. Um, when I got accepted, I was working on a, a housing crew doing construction on Lake Champlain. And uh, my girlfriend was working for the Nature Conservancy up there. and. Suddenly, we were moving to West Philadelphia. Wow. Yeah. Was uh, out-of-state tuition just phenomenal? Yeah. Um, I mean, at the time, it was relatively cheap compared to what it is now. Um, yeah. yeah, it was very expensive. Yeah. And obviously, it would have been really nice to get into Cornell from the tuition perspective. Did you, did you Were you able to drop down to resident status then after a bit, or how did that work for you? No, I went there four years as an out-of-state resident. I don't think you could apply for in-state residency while you were in school. You had to establish it before you went. So, um, and I was in a real fortunate place. I mean, I worked a bit in high school and a bit in college, but uh, I was in a place where my folks really supported my academic experience and were willing to pay for my vet school. So I didn't really come out with a lot of debt. That's good. I Did had you, some college uh, loans that I had to deal with, but um, yeah. veterinary school, I was super lucky. Uh, and uh, I, I came out practicing equine medicine for the first five or six years after, out of vet school. And God, the I, I never would have been able to do that um, had I had any loans because the money was just atrocious. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So did you know what kind of medicine you wanted to practice when you got into school? Um, I thought I was going to be doing kind of all creatures, great and small, because uh, I, I love being around dogs and cats and 
Um, I certainly liked being around horses, so I, I knew I wanted that to be part of my picture. But as it turned out, when I was in veterinary school, by the time we got into our rotations and clinicals, when I was in the exam room with dogs and cats, I found, and I learned this actually in some of the jobs that I had working at small animal hospitals before I even applied, I found the environment in, in small animal exam room completely oppressive and depressing. <laughs> I didn't like it. And I was yeah. often scared of dogs and cats in that environment. Like, I, I just seemed so counterintuitive that you had to get in the face of these animals that were already kind of scared and worried being someplace. And the first thing you had to do was like, look at their gums and stick a thermometer up their butt and draw their blood. And it was like totally the wrong dynamic for establishing a relationship. And I think I got snapped at and bit a few times. And by the time I was graduating veterinary school, I was like, I don't really need to do small animal medicine. I'm going to just do horses. Did you feel like uh, Penn gave you a great uh, toolbox for working on horses then? I think Penn gave me a really good education for uh, veterinary medicine in general. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we all have to figure it out in a lot of ways once we get out of school. Um, But uh, I think the education I got at Penn was really good. And it turned out that uh, after I graduated vet school, I I ended up needing to stay in the Philly area for a year because my wife, uh, then girlfriend, was finishing up a nursing uh, nurse practitioner's degree. And uh, I actually ended up getting an internship at a uh, equine medical and surgical referral hospital called Mid-Atlantic Equine. So I did an internship for a year after vet school, which really helped me a lot for getting comfortable working on horses um, after that, because then I moved to a very rural area in northern Vermont, and I practiced on uh, with Burlington Equine for a little over three years. When So the internship kind of fell like, hey, I'm going to take this, this one-year position while my, uh, while my partner does the schooling thing, or were you looking at the internship like, hey, maybe I'll specialize after, or was that... Yeah, the internship internship that I ended up taking was really for people that wanted to do surgical residencies. Yeah. And the intern was in charge of running um, an externship program for fourth-year veterinary students that rotated through the hospital. They were also responsible for doing ambulatory work in the community, seeing horses, um, assisting surgery. I did a lot of anesthesia. So for me, it really... Uh, ended up being a great experience because I got all this benefit of like going out and doing ambulatory work or if I worked up a colic in the on the road, if it went to surgery, it went to my hospital so I could actually see what I was feeling on a rectal exam, for example, or can trust my intuition a little bit better based on, you know, what we saw when we brought the animal back to to uh, the far uh, the barns and for treatment locally. So um, it was a great experience for me, but I was I was an anomaly there. I mean, most of the people that did their internships were people that were going out to surgical residencies, and I never ever <laughs> uh, was good at surgery. Like I, I was the least uh, likely to ever be a surgeon. I mean, I did some field surgeries, but uh, I, I definitely do not like surgery. Ah, did you get mentored well there? I did. I, I had a really great. Um, mentor named Rick Doran, who is the main surgeon there. And um, uh, 
it was um, a really great experience. Yeah. So what took you to Vermont then? Well, uh, because I um, dragged my girlfriend to Philadelphia area for five years to do a veterinary program and then an internship, she made it very clear that she wanted to choose the next location. And she really wanted to go to Burlington, Vermont. And I was game and I got a job. So I went. How big a practice was it? There were two other primary care vets there uh, when I got there. So it was three with me. And it was kind of a vast area that we covered. We covered a lot of Vermont and we would cross over the the Lake Champlain uh, by ferry and cover a lot of uh, a lot of New York State on the other side of the border. And we used to drive, God, so many hours every day. It was a lot of uh, a lot of driving. Um, not a huge volume practice because it was so rural, but we were always super busy. And I was always late and on emergencies, and it was a it was an interesting experience for a lot of reasons, but. Um, the biggest challenge was that we were not near any type of referral setting there. So when you were out seeing a horse that was having a major problem, you had to be very resourceful in trying to get it fixed on your own. Uh, otherwise there weren't a lot of other good options. You feel like your internship prepared you a bit for that then? Thank God I did my internship is all I could say, because I was, and this is before cell phones, um, I mean, I had the phone numbers of my employer and my other associate who was super supportive when I could reach him. But most of the time I was just on my own. You know, I traveled around with a couple textbooks and would be looking things up on the fly and just trying to figure it out. So it was pretty exciting. How much on call did you have? A lot. Uh, I was pretty much on call every other weekend and at least every third day. And, you know, when you got an emergency up there, it was like, okay, someone called you at 1130, 12 o'clock, you drive an hour and a half to get there. You'd work for an hour, an hour and a half, and then drive an hour and a half back. And there goes your whole night. So you're just shot. And that was if there was only one emergency and often there were multiple. So um, it was crazy. I'm it guessing you a sustainable way of life. I mean, it was good to do it. I gained a lot of experience, but you know, it, it definitely drove me to a place where I realized I couldn't keep doing the veterinary profession the way it was being handed to me. I needed to figure out a way to make it my own and sort out what was going to make me happy in the profession and how I could help animals in a way that was sustainable uh, monetarily, emotionally, physically. Um, yeah, so I had some control of my schedule. Yeah, I'm guessing just hearing you describe it, I'm Seeing, uh, I'm uh, actually reliving my own experience, but <laughs> seeing you drive, you know, two hours in each direction to get to somebody, you know. For, yeah, for just con- crazy. Yeah, yeah, such a waste of time, but it was necessary. Yep. So where, uh, where'd you go after? Well, my, um, my first child was born when we were living up in Vermont. And the minute that she was born, uh, we realized that we would like to get a little bit closer to family. I've got two older brothers and uh, both of our parents and their families were in the tri-state area. My wife's from New Jersey and I was from New York. So 
we were trying to get back down closer to that area because it was an eight hour drive to get up to Northern Vermont where we were. Um, so I took a job. I was hunting for a job pretty aggressively for a while and I couldn't quite get the job I wanted. And I got a job at another associate practice named Colts Head Veterinary Services in Freehold, New Jersey. Um, and I did not like that area at all. Uh, the practice was okay, uh, but my body was kind of falling apart. I, I herniated a disc in my back like six months into that job while I was working on a horse. Um, and that further brought to light <laughs> the fact that I needed to make a change, uh, that I was uh, uh, needed to sort out how to how to make that profession work for me and not keep trying to mold myself into these other people's practices where I was just running myself ragged. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I, if I'm doing my math correct, correctly, you'd already taken the chiropractic course then. Yes. I got cert when I was um, a fourth year in veterinary school. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember his name, but there was this guy who was so handsome and he was wearing dance go clogs and he was so cool. And he came walking into the, our, the barn where I, I was doing my, um, we were doing rounds in the morning and he kind of walked off to the side and someone said, Oh, he's a chiropractor for the U S Olympic team is going to work on a horse. And I, I found myself following him back through the barns, leaving rounds and just kind of watching him from a little bit of a distance, seeing what he was doing. And I had no idea what he was doing, but I could see that he was, basically assessing the body just using his hands and palpation and then affecting change in the body with his hands and his body in a way that I never even knew existed. And I was like, wow, I don't really understand that, but I want to do that. So um, early on uh, after my internship, when I was at uh, Burlington Equine, uh, I started a certification in, at the AVCA uh, for chiropractic. And it took me, I think I did it in two years because I spread it out over a long time, but I was certified in 98. Yeah. Did you go to uh, options then? That was options. Yeah. Yeah. And they were still in Illinois or they were in Illinois. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so after Colts head, where did you end up? After Colts head, um, I basically, um, uh, my wife got a job because we, we really, when we landed in Colts Head and Freehold, my wife and I looked at each other and like within a day of moving there saying, Oh my God, what have we done? This is not where we want to live. It was the <laughs> neighborhood was people were so unfriendly and like we'd be walking with our kids in a double baby stroller with our dog down the, down our little cul-de-sac and we'd pass our neighbors. We'd say, "Hey, how's it going?" And people would literally look the other way and ignore us, like we were, like we were some taboo or something. It was crazy. Like people were just so not nice, and uh, and it was just too urban for us too. So um, uh, we were like, "Okay, we want to live in New England. We want to be closer to home. Where would that be?" And um, we really, when I was in veterinary school, I used to come up to uh, UMass. Amherst area a lot because one of my college friends was up here chefing at a sorority and we used to come visit him and we always said it would be a great place to live and raise a family uh, if we ever found ourselves being able to get there and um, my wife took a job running the Planned Parenthood in Springfield, Massachusetts, which is very close to Amherst 
And we found ourselves moving to the area. So my wife was working full time when we moved up here, when we left uh, New Jersey. And I was taking care of two um, very small children, which was a huge shock to the system after being working full time. Yeah. Uh, and over a couple months, we got um, I got some childcare part time for them and started my own practice because I basically made the decision when we moved up here that I was not going to do primary care anymore. I was going to move to an area where no one knew me, offer a service that no one really needed, and start a holistic veterinary practice. Um, and that's what I did. I and uh, I started going out to horse barns and meeting people and doing some demos and built up a clientele and a practice. And it was only horses at first. Um, and over time, small animal people started hunting me down and I started treating some dogs and cats. And then I was treating them in my basement and then I renovated the basement. <laughs> and so I had a home office and I did that for seven or eight years. And my wife said, uh, I got to kick you out of the house for work because you're driving me crazy. Cause every time people pulled into the driveway that our dogs were going crazy. So um, I opened a commercial space in a small town outside of Amherst called Belchertown, where I am now. And um, now I see about 80% dogs and cats, and I see like 10, 15, 20% horses. So that's kind of where I've been for the last 10 years. When you started that practice, were you just doing chiropractic or had you done your acupuncture training then? Yeah, when I um, was, when we first moved to Northampton up into the Pioneer Valley, um, I was in the middle of finishing my acupuncture certification. So I was just about done with my acupuncture certification when we first moved up here. I finished that um, in, I think, 2000. And, um, and then in 2009, I got certified uh, by Time to Heal in traditional Chinese herbs. Uh, and I started integrating laser and nutrition. And um, and I basically set it up so that I didn't do any primary care. And all my clients maintain a separate relationship with their own vets uh, for primary care and then use me for holistic services. And that's the model that I've gone with. So it's kind of like the anti-integrated practice. It's just a strict holistic practice. Do you get many referrals from your colleagues? You know, over time, um, a lot of my colleagues in the area have learned that I've had success with stuff that they are stupefied by. Um, and they refer to me. And when my clients tell them they're seeing me, most of the people that um, they tell are like, oh, that's great. You should definitely see Dr. Landau for that. And so between referrals and just approvals, I have a lot of uh, a lot of support from the community. I wouldn't say everyone supports me, but I'd say most of the vets in the area are very supportive. Do you think a little bit of it is that you're not in competition as far as, you know, competing for them as a client? I think that's part of it. Um, and I think the other part of it is if you see an animal that's declining under your care, and they go to someone else and the animal stops declining and gets better. You start to feel like, okay, I may not understand what that person is doing, but that person is going to help this animal. So you're going to support it. So seems, yeah, it seems like, you know, you're off doing your thing and you just, at least from my experience doing something similar is you just grind and grind and grind and you try to do the right thing. And over time, those referring vets 
get a sense of uh, security about it. Yeah, I, I think um, I think in general that's very true. I mean, part of me wishes that I was more comfortable doing blood draws and for things like you know thyroid tests and titer tests. Like I don't even do those types of things because I feel like to go from a, an environment where we're we're really kind of making it a positive experience for animals to go from that to like doing a restraint and then a blood draw, even though it doesn't sound like it's aggressive compared to everything else we do, it is pretty aggressive. And so it's kind of awkward sometimes when I'm asking the primary care vets to run a thyroid five panel from Hemopet when that's not the lab they use. And so I get some pushback sometimes that way, or, you know, to go to Kansas state for titer testing, or sometimes there's, some tension that I create because I don't do certain primary care services. But in general, you know, I, I think a little friction is okay. And in general, there's not that much friction. So I'm pretty happy with the way things are running. That's good. Hey, I want to back up for a sec. So um, going to options, showing up for that first module, had you been a chiropractic patient yourself before you got there? And and what did you, th- was it just mind blowing to, to take that course? How did you feel about it? Yeah, that's a great question, Neil. Um, I remember very clearly feeling like something opened up, you know, kind of almost at a soul level, feeling like, oh, there's this whole other thing that I just, it's there, but you never really acknowledged of ways that you can actually unlock the body's ability to heal itself. And, oh my gosh, wait a minute, that's what all holistic medicine is. Like you're just figuring out how the how to help the body heal itself, whatever modality you're using, and it's not that one's better than another. So how do I feel when I learned about chiropractic, which was the first alternative or holistic modality? I felt like, holy shit! <laughs> can I say that? Yeah. Um, like I I can just do this. I don't have to keep doing primary care. Like this is going to be a life pursuit, just trying to figure this out and. I'm going to feel like it's a never-ending quest to try to help animals do better. And I'll never really arrive. It's kind of like everything else in life, but you'll help so many animals along the way. Isn't that awesome? It is. All right. Now my next question. So um, thinking about your progression from, and I mean from chiropractic to acupuncture, uh, do you feel like that was the a correct order to take it in? Would you have, do you have thoughts on, would you have done it, the, had a choice, done it the opposite way? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. You know, that comes up a lot. And I really don't think there's a right way to learn, a right order to learn. I, I, I mean, I'm happy that I learned chiropractic first. I think it's been helpful. In a lot of ways, even though I've been doing chiropractic a long time, I don't feel like I have any like amazing skill as a chiropractor, it just gives you the ability to use your hands to kind of assess, you know, what can I do to kind of help this animal kind of function and fire better from a neural perspective based on what's going on with the bones. And it doesn't really matter whether you learn that first, second, third, or fourth. It's just like, and lately I've been, I I just started taking Patrice Corticus's, um, osteopathy courses you know her, and that's like blown my mind in a whole different way and now i'm like kind of jazzed on that going wow 
I, I'm going to use my hands in a totally different way to help kind of move energy and get fashion moving. And I didn't even know I could do that. And I still am not sure I can. I'm trying to figure it out. But um, uh, yeah, I just think it's all, it's not that one modality is better than, uh, than another or that um, the order matters. It's just a question of what resonates with the provider, you. Like how, how does it give you a window to see the body? and figure out how you can push the body back into balance. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. So what are your thoughts on, on the future for, for your sort of practice? I mean, eventually you're going to have to retire. Yeah. What do you see is happening with your practice? What do you, do you see a future for solo doctor holistic practice like, like you have? Yeah. I mean, I think the question of integrative practice, which, you know, I've been, as you know, I've been with the AHVMA for a long time. I've been on the board of directors and there have been a lot of conversation about moving towards an integrative model and maybe vet schools can start teaching more of an integrative model. And I mean, that I think that's all well and good and that may work well for some people. But for me, I I really don't believe in an integrative model. I mean, I think you should take the best of what any type of modality and practitioner has to offer. And when I go to my primary care doctor for my animals or for myself, I really want good primary care. I don't really feel like I need them to be able to integrate Chinese medicine or osteopathy or chiropractic into that primary care experience. I don't think it's fair for vets to feel like they have to do everything. I think it's too much. And most of the Integrative practices I see out there are veterinarians, in my area anyway, that do kind of a crappy job with both. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to put it that way. I just feel like they're wondering which hat to put on. What? How am I going to meet this client's expectation and not make them feel frustrated or not make them feel pissed off at the bill because their animal's still limping when they leave? Uh, and I did a chiropractic adjustment and did, did not give them Rimadil. Um, I just think it's there's too many facets to how you can help an animal. And I feel like going in with a holistic perspective like I have right now, I still have to choose what modality I want to use, but it's all within the holistic paradigm. And I feel a whole lot more comfortable that my clients know how I'm going to approach things and they're going to get what they paid for. Whereas if I was doing primary care at the same time as I'm doing holistic medicine, there's a whole gray area of what does this client expect? What am I delivering? And am I taking the time to really dive in deeply in whatever modality I'm using? You ever found yourself in a position where you wanted or needed an associate? Yeah, I've been struggling with with how to manage uh, practice and sustainability and financial success and uh, moving forward to a point where either you build up a practice to a point where you can pass it on to another veterinarian and then move out and maybe stay on as an associate. Or, I mean, I think right now, Everyone that I know who's in my shoes, meaning they're a practice owner with a holistic practice or even an integrative practice, 
Well, actually, no. I think the integrative practices, just like a uh, primary care practice, are sellable. And people have a way to get out, to cash out if they want, and then retire. Closely practices, all I have is my client list and my skill set. And I have very little to sell as far as I know. Um, So I don't really know what the answer is. And I've really struggled with, like for the last probably close to 10 years, I went from having maxed out my ability to see patients to see how far I could take it to be as profitable as possible and still deliver really good care. And then realizing I was burning out in the process and I couldn't keep that energy output and still feel like I was maintaining any happiness while I was at work. I was starting to feel a little too fried. So now in the last couple of years, I figured out, well, how much can I back off and limit my patient time to some degree to protect my energy so that I can be delivering better service when I'm seeing patients? And that doesn't even answer the question of how do you exit? And, and I don't, I, I would love you to tell me how to, how to, how to sort out the exit strategy. I mean, I know some people that are telling me now that, oh, you can actually sell to a corporation as a holistic practice They're, They might even buy your practice and then you can work as an associate, but I can't imagine that would feel very rewarding. And it feels weird to be selling out to, in any degree for the money. So I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. So what, how did you dial back the amount of patients you were seeing and still maintain financial viability? Yeah, I mean, part of it, um, part of it is I'm in a place in life where my kids are out of college. <laughs> uh, my expenses are not huge. I don't live in an extrav- extravagant lifestyle. Um, and uh, I charge appropriately. So basically I'm by appointment only. and. Um, I just found like making little changes, like for, for example, right now it's Wednesday at almost 2 PM on Wednesdays, I'll see patients from nine to one or nine to 1230. And I take my afternoons off to either catch up on administrative stuff or, uh, just to leave and get out of the office early. And on Mondays and Fridays where I'm usually seeing a full day of patients in like nine to five, five thirty. I've started to have my last patient be done by four. And even just that kind of trimming the schedule at the end of the day makes a huge difference for me not feeling like I've overextended my capacity to give um, energetically. It's just trial and error. I know some people that don't really get wiped from seeing patients, they get energized and they could just go all day and keep going. But that was never me. That makes sense. All yeah. right. Before, before I let you go, we got to talk about your, what, finishing up your second term on the AHVMA board. <laughs> well, I did two terms already. And then, um, you know, in the last couple of years, I think they were short board members and there was a lot of turmoil with the HVMA um, with our last ED. And now they're trying to get back on the right track, which I feel like they've done a great job and we're, we're really kind of back to where we need to be. Um, uh, so I, I, I guess I'm doing a last term. I thought it was going to be a one year, but it turns out it looks like it's going to be a three year stint. So I'm in my second of three years now. 
of of being on the board. So yeah, I mean, it's a great organization. I, I feel like so fortunate to be able to to be involved with the HVMA. That organization has done so much for our profession. It created a home for so many of us when we're kind of coming together on a yearly basis after being, I don't know, these little islands of people just kind of practicing on our own. I, I It's so nice to be able to come together with uh, our tribe and and just kind of co-mingle and kind of see what other people are doing, get new ideas for practicing, super energizing. So um, I, I love the organization. Oh, I agree there. So you feel like they're, uh, they're coming back. They're, they're doing a great job. And I really do. I, I feel like, you know, it was almost like we were in this abusive relationship that we didn't realize we were getting into with our last ED. And uh, he really did a lot of things that an abuser would do without us really knowing in that he like separated out the, the allied groups and the individuals so that basically everyone had to go through him and people were not communicating within the organization with each other. So suddenly everyone was kind of isolated and it wasn't until we got him out that we realized, oh my God, we lost all our ability to communicate. We lost all our student chapters and we're not like, we're not bringing up the next generation. And then there was like tension between the different allied groups. And it's just because no one was really talking and like everyone was kind of isolated. So I feel like we've really done a good job kind of getting the lines of communication open again and kind of reestablishing why everyone wants to be part of this organization in the first place, which is, it's a great organization and it's served us well and inspires us in so many different ways. So, um, yeah, I think, I think the organization is making a good comeback and I think it's going to be a great conference coming up this year. And, uh, yeah, I'm have no regrets about being there and happy to be part of it. I agree. Well, Kevin, I think this is a good place to, uh, to land it. I do want to thank you for taking the time to talk. And I do want to thank you for your time your board service and all you've done for our aspect of the profession. Thank you so much, Neil. And you are very welcome. And um, thanks for taking the time to do the interview. I hope to see you in person soon. Okay. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.